It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. Is a yogi's definition of success, of being successful in the world, any different from society's definition of being successful in the world? This question was recently posed to me by a woman who's very successful in her career. She's in the business field, and she has an interest in Kriya Yoga and meditation. I responded to this during the Patreon monthly Q&A session, the online Q&A session that we do, and it occurred to me that maybe we needed to spend a little more time discussing this for a broader audience, because this is a topic and a theme that many people have some confusion about in their mind. And that's understandable, because we do live in a world where the ideas of what it means to be successful tends to depend upon who we are talking to. Now, when it comes to yoga practice and meditation and one intent on what we could call spiritual awakening, then we do need to realize that there is a difference between success as it is defined by the world and success as it is defined from a spiritual perspective. I have a quote here from Paramahansa Yogananda. He says, Mankind is engaged in an eternal quest for that something else he hopes will bring him happiness, complete and unending. For those individual souls who have sought and found God, the search is over. He is that something else. Now, when we think about this, we need to not just pay attention to the ideas of Kriya Yoga, meditation, but we need to think about many other spiritual traditions too, and how at least most of the authentic spiritual traditions that I am aware of puts an emphasis on letting go of attachment to the world, to the changing phenomena of the world. There is a focus on letting go of trying to find a sense of fulfillment through everything that's going to rise and fall within our lives, which essentially is anything we can experience. Your relatives that you love so dearly, they're temporary. The work that you do is temporary. Your body is temporary. Even your personality that you think is so important is temporary. You can even see that just if you pay attention to how you have changed, and hopefully you have over the course of your lifetime, how your personality is likely, hopefully, different than it was when you were five years old. And your personality is probably radically different than it was when you were 17 or 20. Now again, that really depends on who you are and what you're doing, because many people who aren't interested in development and evolution and growing, um, they might be a nine-year-old in a 40-year-old's body, or they may be a 17-year-old in a 40-year-old or 50 or 60 or 80-year-old's body. And you see that all the time. 
But for one who's practicing meditation, for one who is intent upon their spiritual path, there will be a consistent uh, overturning of the personality, a consistent change. And that's because we are embracing the nature of how God, and that's the best word we have to use here, uh, interacts with the phenomenon that we're able to perceive. So many people think that success occurs when they are with the right person in the right relationship, when they've raised their children well, when they have a certain amount of money, when their body is a certain level of health and well-being, when political structures are uh, set up in a way that agrees with their own ideas and belief systems. This is the way most of the world views the idea of success, and it's the way many, 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 most of the people on this planet view success. That is not the yogic view of success. The yogic view of success is being and please bear in mind that this is the best way that I know right now that words can describe this, but success is essentially knowing that we are not the changeable things within our lives, and through our spiritual practice, through our meditation, through our contemplation, our devotion, recognizing, well, if we're not all these changing things within our lives, well, then what are we? And that thing, again, it's not a thing, it's, this is the best words can do, that thing, that presence, that being uh, that we actually are beyond all the changing phenomena of the world or beyond all the changing phenomena of nature, many people refer to it as spirit, that is, that is success, to know that, to be that, to exist as that, to abide as that. In the Yoga Sutras, as it defines yoga practice, it is the calming, the pacifying, the rising above. We can use all kinds of adjectives here. The changes and fluctuations in our states of consciousness. And when that happens, we uh, abide in our own true nature. We abide as the self. And by abiding in the self, that is the practice of yoga. And then from there, we have over 190 more Sutras describing how that's done and what to expect along the way. But success from a yogic perspective is abiding as the self. And while we are engaged in the world, success from a yogic perspective is being able to abide as the self constantly, effortlessly, easily. I forget which book I wrote it in. Maybe it was Kriya Yoga Vichara. But I described in that book how... Well, no, no, pardon me. It was... um. Uh, it was A Course in Tranquility. That's the book. But I describe how in A Course in Tranquility that when a yogi is successful and has, has become skillful in, in his or her practice, it is harder for a yogi or a meditator to have a scattered, fragmented state of mind. It's harder for a yogi to have that than it is for a beginner to actually have a holistic, unified state of mind. 
What does that mean? That means that when you are beginning your meditation practice, you're doing whatever it takes to sit still, be quiet, calm down those fluctuations, and then see what is underneath all of those changes within your experience. And that takes a lot of, usually a lot of effort, a lot of training, and a lot of time. However, once you get the hang of it and you become skillful at it, you know what to do and it's natural for you just like it is very hard for a musician to play an out-of-tune instrument. They, they know immediately when one string or one aspect of that instrument is slightly out of tune, and so they adjust it, and they're always playing in tune. The same can be true or could be said for a yogi. Once they've mastered the steps of um, the yamas and niyamas, the, the principles to follow in the beginning, uh, asana, sitting still, pranayama, the breathing, um, pratyahara, internalizing one's attention, dharana, dhyana, and samadhi, meditation, and then that oneness experience. Once they master that, it is natural to them. They just know how to do it. It's easy. Just like certain things in your life that you don't even question, driving a car, um, making your favorite dish, um, cleaning the toilet. You know how to do all those things. You don't question it. You don't think about it. You just do it. The same will be true for a yogi. Now, the difficulty arises in that we live in a culture where many of us need to have uh, what is we're going to use the word good for us or the idea of something being good for us, many times we need that to be candy-coated because we're not going to just swallow the medicine on its own. And from a spiritual perspective, what we're seeing is that many people, many teachers, many situations make these grand promises about what's going to happen uh, once you reach enlightenment or once you meditate well, how everything's going to be taken care of. You're not going to worry about anything. Your bank account's always going to be full because that is a demonstration of your oneness with God, that your body will always be perfect because then your prana is harmoniously aligned with the infinite. Well, many of these people are well-meaning, some of them are deceptive. Um, the good ones know that that might sometimes be the only way to get a person in the door. And then if you keep them long enough, they'll start to get a sense of what the work is actually related to. Because if you think about it, when you first started on your meditative path, and this might not be true for all of you, but I'm going to probably guess 99% of you, if you read Autobiography of a Yogi or you had all these ideas about what it meant to be philosophically enlightened uh, and someone said to you, well, really it's very simple. All you need to do is let go of all of your attachments and then live a natural, spontaneous life, whatever that means. Now, you might interpret that to mean, again, a natural and spontaneous life is everything is perfect, but what that individual or that yogi was saying was, you're content in all circumstances, you've let go of attachments to everything, and so whatever happens, you're perfectly present. Now, really, if you're honest with yourselves, most of you, I would imagine, you would probably not have continued along your path. Um, you needed some of these interesting ideas to keep you engaged in the process. But ultimately, to answer this question about how does a yogi view success, is it different than the world? It is radically different than the world. Um, another quote from Yogananda, he says that many people doubt that finding God is the purpose of life, but everyone can accept the idea that the purpose of life is to find happiness. I say that God is happiness. He is bliss. 
He is love. He is joy. He is joy that will never go away from your soul. So why shouldn't you try to acquire that happiness? No one else can give it to you. You must continuously cultivate it. Now, Yogananda was a very devotional individual, so he always spoke in these kinds of terms. But the, the ultimate thing that he's pointing at is that you must go within and you must be able to abide in that awareness, in that presence, which is not identified with anything else, nothing else, nothing else. And in the beginning, that is ridiculously hard to imagine. Why? Because due to habit, we are identified with everything. That's the way we've been raised, usually from the moment we're born. When Lahiri Mahasaya was giving a commentary on the Bhagavad Gita, one of the things he said was, Day and night, neither am I anything, nor is anything mine, fully remain in the after-effects of Kriya with dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. Dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. So with focus, with absorption, and with oneness, abide in supreme happiness. Then in that after-effects of Kriya, again, I am nothing, nothing is mine. If one stays in this state, attention with attachment will not go in other directions. Attention with attachment will not go in other directions, meaning the mind will not go to other things. So what is Lahiri Mahasaya speaking of here? He's saying that the practice of Kriya, abiding in that state where I am nothing, nothing is mine, neither am I anything, nor is anything mine, that is existing utterly free of all attachments, of, of all identifications with anything else. And... When you're practicing meditation, essentially that's what you're training yourself to do. And the practice, the Kriya Yoga techniques, and again, any really successful, useful, effective technique, essentially what it's doing is it's giving your, your mind for a bit something to focus on such that you can see that it can exist only focusing on that one thing, that, that existence occurs, not the mind, that was a little... A verbal faux pas there, but the, the that existence can occur with only concentrate on one thing. So imagine you think you are the stress of your bills. You think you are someone who craves processed foods and meats. You think you are someone who has to have a healthy body. You think you are someone who is disturbed by relationships. You think you are someone who is not in the right place in your profession or career. Now, through meditation, what you're doing is, let's just use the example of a candle flame. Now you are, you are directing all of your attention to experience that candle flame. Until what happens is, in time, you are able to sit for 2, 3, 5, 10, 60, 90 minutes or more simply aware of that candle flame only. In that time, all everything else falls away that you thought you were. All of your problems, all of your thoughts, all the things that disturb you, all the things that you imagine are going to bring you happiness. And so if, you're, if, you are, if your subtle awareness is active then what you're going to do is you're going to recognize, wait a minute, I have just spent 90 minutes and I was still existing and I was content and I was present and that all occurred without any attention to all this other stuff I thought I was at all. None of that was there. 
And so if you were paying attention and able to reflect upon that, you would start to get the sense of, well, wait a minute, maybe I actually am not all these things that I thought I was. Maybe all that stuff that I thought was going to bring me happiness, all the changes I thought needed to be there, maybe that's not accurate. And then you start, in a sense, contemplating that. Well, what am I? What am I that exists even when none of this other stuff is there? And that's a, a good step to take after you get, a hang, you get the hang of meditation. But once you're able to start doing that, then you're catching a glimpse of the what we could call the higher aspects of this whole process, the higher aspects of this whole process. And then we start to see that when we're in a situation where maybe a body is failing or we see someone else whose body is failing, there is an innate recognition that that is just a part of nature turning itself over. That's a part of life just transforming as it always does, but we are still able to exist and abide as that presence. When great joy comes into our life, wonderful things come into our life, rather than thinking to ourselves, well, I need to hold on to this. This can't go anywhere. And having an attachment develop around it, it is experienced for what it is, like a wave rising, and you ride the wave until it exhausts itself, and then life goes on. But you are, throughout all of that, aware that you are this self or this presence or this now moment that exists in all things. And if you do that long enough, if you really engage in that, and it's for most people, it's not an easy process because it takes a lot of energy. Uh, it takes a lot of attention. And when we're surrounded by a world of immediate satisfaction and gratification and all the flashing images and all the things that are meant to stimulate us, if we haven't really pulled ourselves away from being addicted to those things, it is very difficult. So again, this is why practicing the yamas and niyamas this is why having a life of routine, this is why um, keeping your life very organized is a yogic process because it starts to wean you away from this fantastic, flashy, addictive um, type of life that most people are, are caught up in, are snagged up in. And to most people that seems boring. Well, again, we have to remember the the yogic purpose of life is not to be stimulated, nor is it to be bored. It's simply to know what is what is the truth of our nature. What is the truth of our nature? And if you know what the truth of your nature is, you're not going to be bored. That is why people who've been practicing meditation, Kriya Yoga, or have some kind of enlightened philosophical viewpoint, they seem so patient most of the time, or they're able to simply sit still and again, that idea of patience is usually attributed to them. But it's not really patience, because patience tends to mean you're enduring something until it passes. But the individual who is alert and awake and absorbed in the self, and in this moment, there's no patience there. They're not waiting for something else to happen. Like right now, I'm, I'm staring at this radiator that has the sunlight 
the morning sunlight coming through and casting a shadow on the floor. And I remember as a child thinking that the light coming in the window and kind of rippling off of curtains and moving across the floor, I always found it extremely fascinating. So I can sit there and I can stare at that for a long time and find it utterly beautiful. I'm not waiting for someone to show up. I'm not wanting to check my phone. Um, I'm not thinking about what's for dinner later on. And that kind of state, that expands into many other states. When you're driving, when you're having a conversation with someone, when you're enduring a certain situation. So it's not patience. It's just simply that they are not the individual who is awake is not identified with any of the changing phenomena, not identified with any of the changing phenomena. Another quote from Paramahansa Yogananda, even if life gave you at one time everything you wanted, wealth, power, friends, after a while you would again become dissatisfied and need something more. But there is one thing that can never become stale to you, joy itself, happiness that is delightfully varied. Though its essence is changeless, the inner experience everyone is seeking, lasting ever new joy is God. Finding this joy within, you will find it in everything without. In God, you will tap the reservoir of perennial unending bliss. Now, he uses the word God. I might use the word presence. I might use the word awareness. Don't worry, don't get hung up on the words. But he's got a good point there. And if you think about it in your life, think about all the things that you've wanted, that you've gotten. And then once you've gotten them, you enjoyed them for a little while, but then you wanted something else. And it was a constant repetitious theme, a constant repetitious theme. This is why so many people are unhappy in their relationships, why they're unhappy in their careers. Well, essentially, it's why they're unhappy period, because they're always looking for something outside of oneself to define oneself. And the practice of yoga, success in yoga, is stopping that, stopping that. Um, I, I looked for it in some of these, uh, one of these books that I have related to Lahiri Messiah. I quoted it in the, the Patreon Q&A but this is a big book and I couldn't quite find it. But to summarize, Lahiri Mahasaya states that essentially when you go into meditation, you have to let go of the idea that there is anything physical, anything experiential that can bring you happiness. And that is the first stage of three in the meditative process. Once you have let go of the idea that there's anything tangible, anything experiential that can give you happiness, then you are beginning to abide in this idea of the self. Once you abide in that idea of the self, we'll consider that stage two. And finally, stage three is there's not even any attempt or effort towards it. It's just something that naturally happens. And so again, the whole idea of what is the definition of success in this world? from a yogic standpoint. It would not matter if you had the healthiest or the unhealthiest body in the world. It would not matter if you build a successful business. It would not matter if you were politically active or not. It would not matter whether you raised your children right or you were had the perfect harmony within your family. None of that matters from a yogic perspective. And we can even see this in Western traditions. 
as Jesus says to essentially let go of one's son's father, brother, I don't know the exact quote, but he's, he's essentially stating in order to know the Christ consciousness or the awakened consciousness, one has to let go of one's family. One has to let go of everything to follow that guiding principle, that guiding principle. And if you make it to the end of your life, no matter what happened in that life, no matter what the tangible things were that happened in that life, as long as you were endeavoring to embody the state of clarity and you actualized it, then it is a success. That is success. That is complete success. So when you read the Bhagavad Gita, the yogi is not moved by praise or blame, gain or loss, pleasure or pain, heat or cold. This is why this is spoken of. It's telling you that all these things, they're not related to success on the yogic path. Now, we have to be cautious with this direction of thinking because, again, most people, many people are, are immature in this idea, and so they will take it to an extreme which is not intended. And that is why Lahiri Mahasaya, when he speaks of renunciation, and many other spiritual teachers, when they speak of renunciation, they are not telling you to pack up your bags, go to the mountains, and be done with it. They are specifically stating that renunciation is an internal state. It is an internal state. The body will still be active. The mind will still be active. The personality will likely still be active. But internally, what you really are is not attached to that. So one is not going to become complacent unless that is completely and utterly, truly, their path in this life. One might have considered um, Ramana Maharshi uh, as being one of those complacent ones. Well, he is rare in that case. He was still active, though, too. Um, because what happens is once you start to have insights into this, once your meditation starts to bear fruits of this insight, most of the time you're going to find that you're kind of still doing the stuff that you had in mind to do before. It's just naturally happening because that is your mind, body, unit's personality's uh, role in this, great, um, in this great wheel of life. And we have to remember that this world, this worldly experience of change, was made specifically for you such that you can break the attachments that you have. So while you are meditating, while you are inwardly learning this renunciation, you are actively, outwardly expressing the demonstration of what you learn. So you're going to find that you are going to naturally be engaged in the business or the work that you probably have been. You are naturally going to participate in relationships in the ways that you have been. Because that is just what nature is doing. That is, that is how you are participating. And even if you try to fight it, you're going to have inspirations or things pulling you in a certain direction. You can be utterly renounced and abiding as the self, and you can wake up in the morning and you can still be abiding as the self, and then the idea comes to you, 
All right, let's go answer my emails. So you go answer your emails. Let's make some tea. All right, let's plan this holiday dinner that we've got going on. Let's take care of this relationship issue. It just naturally arises in your awareness and you do it. But you do it from a place of uh, renunciation where it is happening and you are the observer. You are doing your best to observe and to participate. And that can run across any area of your life. You can be in an enlightened state and have some health problems. And you wake up in the morning and you don't think, well, gee, if I was enlightened and spiritually aware and had the blessings of all the gurus and the saints, this wouldn't be happening to me. No, you are aware of what you truly are, and you are aware you are not your body, but for some reason this body is going through this experience, either for your sake or for the sake of others in your life, and you arise and the inspiration comes to you, well, this is how I need to take care of my body today. So you go do it without attachment. You're not investing yourself in the results of what arises for you to do uh, in this situation. That is true renunciation, and that is true presence, and that is truly being in the now. That is why it is said that the greatest types of spiritual practice are not done for any other reason than for their own sake. They're not done for any other reason than their own sake. And the mind rebels at that, doesn't it? Oh, I need to have a reason. And of course, of course, in the beginning, you do. Just like that candy coating that we were talking about earlier, in the beginning, you need to do whatever it takes. You need to talk yourself into whatever rewards you need to such that you get motivated and you get your life together from a yogic perspective. And what is the definition of life from a yogic perspective? Well, read the Yoga Sutras. Read the Yamas and the Yamas. Read the qualities and characteristics listed in the Bhagavad Gita. Essentially, be a good person. Live without attachment and do your work without thinking that you have um, any control over what happens after you do your work. So it's an ultimate state of surrender. If you can get your mind around that or find some way to get your mind around that, you are living a yogic lifestyle and you are going to be successful. Yogis don't look at anyone and say, you are so successful because you've got that perfect relationship. You are so successful because your body is so beautiful and radiant and healthy. You are so successful, and on and on and on. The yogi looks and sees his presence there. How clear is that presence? And then they know that if that presence is there, that that presence will continue to be there, whether the mind is there, whether the body is there. So if we take the theory of incarnations or reincarnations, once a person is awake, they will always be awake because then they will, they will be so free that they will be able to live freely in any incarnation, in any situation, in any circumstance that their awareness happens to be in. Now, as we go through this, this brings up an idea. This can also speak to... Uh, the solution, the spiritual solution to all of your problems in life. As we discussed, this world, this experience, and by world I mean the phenomena, time, space, anything that you can experience. You can even experience your dreams, um, anything that you can define yourself through, anything that rises and falls and changes. That's what I mean by this world. This world was created for you, 
from a spiritual perspective, from, from the, the, the perspective of spirit, everything that is in your life is there so that you learn freedom, so that you learn what it means to be free. You say, I've got all these relationship problems and it's not going very well, and I would just be happy if I, I found a good relationship or my relationship was going well. Well, this world is there giving you the opportunity to recognize that that is a falsehood, that you are bound by the idea that happiness is dependent upon your idea of having a, a certain kind of relationship. Now again, you don't want to abuse yourself. You don't want to let others abuse you either. So if you're in a situation that is difficult for you or abusive for you or traumatic for you, well, then part of that freedom you're learning is learning to let go of uh, learning to let go of attachment to things which abuse you or, or traumatize you, which will, of course, if you're practicing the yamas and niyamas, will bring us to the idea of harmlessness. And you also have to practice harmlessness towards yourself as well. If you are overwhelmed with financial problems and you say, well, I, I would be, I'd be in a much better place spiritually if I didn't have all these financial problems. And it's just one thing after another. And, you know, I try my best. And the key word is there. I try my best. And yet it still doesn't seem to work out. Well, that is a, that is a specific opportunity for you to recognize your freedom that you have an idea that you can be free only when a certain thing happens. And so recognizing that, you now know that your role, your spiritual practice, is defined any way you can, whether it's through meditation or counseling or just working it out in your head, recognizing that defining oneself through a certain financial goal, it's not going to make any difference. That's flabbergasting for the mind, isn't it? What do you mean? Don't I need all of this these things? Don't I need a certain level of income? Don't I need to let go of all of this stress? Well, it will come in time, but anything that is a problem in your life, oh, my body is not strong enough. I have these constant health problems. I need to keep trying, searching, straining to, to do more, to be more, to find something more, to help myself heal. Well, if you've actually really done your best, and many of you really have and still have a few health issues, serious or otherwise, well then the the spiritual practice there for you, the reason this world is giving that to you is because that's part of your soul freedom that you are specifically here to work out. And that is attachment to the body. You are not the body. If you truly knew you were not the body, if you truly knew you were not the body, sure, you would occasionally have instances of reaction to pain and difficulty and such, but that would not build up this consistent sense of stress or build this monumental tower of failure around health. You would simply see it for what it is, the body as something that exists, healthy or otherwise. So you get the idea of what I'm saying here. All the things that you think are problems for you, all the things that cause you that sense of dread or stress or heaviness or tenseness, what you feel in your body, that temple of spirit, that is, that is the transmission station. The body is the transmission station, giving you the sense of feeling, of emotion, to identify with a particular problem that you can recognize so that you can start to work through it, 
so that you can start to meditate as deeply as possible. Train yourself the best way you know how with the resources that you have to go within and recognize that you are this inner awareness. And then after you get the hang of that, you are working through, okay, what am I attached to? What do I think is going to bring me freedom? And then you contemplate, is this true? Is this really what I am? Is this necessary to achieve? And what you'll start to find is that no, it is not. And then you will truly figure out what freedom is. So sometimes terrible things that occur in your life are great blessings. Uh, even for my late wife, going through this sudden and intense version of leukemia that she went through after living pretty much a perfectly healthy life, having no indications of anything like that happening at all, uh, being a meditator, practicing Ayurveda, doing all these things, it was a shock that you couldn't even imagine to both of us, really. But for her, that whole process, by the end of it, even though she she passed, um, she said with the clearest and most profound uh, light that because of that, she was fully healed. And she didn't mean her body because she knew she wasn't the body at that point, but that soul was, was fully healed. And that is the purpose of yoga. If you make it through your life more fully healed than how you started, and healed is a charged word. Okay, I'm just using it in this context because it's the best I have. But we're going to say unified, whole, um, recognizing the truth of one's being, one's real nature. The closer you, you, you recognize that, realize that in this life, that is the measure of success for you. That is the measure of success for you. And it doesn't matter if you make it to 20 years old, 40 years old, 60 years old, 120, 140 years old. Time is not the issue. It's have you realized your own inner freedom by which the Kriya processes, the meditation techniques, are a tool to help you actualize that. By which the study of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, the study of the Bhagavad Gita, within those are guidelines that if you embody them, if you learn how to make them real and natural for you, then you're effortlessly going to experience that state of wholeness and freedom without struggle. Uh, the biggest struggle you have is just doing the work. But if you actually just do the work and let go of your small attachments or the sin of I, me, and mine, it'll happen naturally. Just like if you give the right nutrients and content and dirt and water and sunlight to a garden and the right seeds, that garden grows naturally. So this is the, this is what it means from a yogic perspective to be successful. And from a yogic perspective, you can, you can be successful in the world, but you're not being successful in the world by, by catering to the, um, the ideas of the world. Remember, the world is here for you, not you for the world. You're not here to do what the world wants. The world is here to present situations and circumstances to you such that you, as this seemingly individualized aspect of the whole, is able to recognize that you are only seemingly an individualized aspect of the whole. You are and have always been the whole. Now, final thoughts. That does not mean that you do not care for the people in your life. 
You just do it freely. You love them freely. You don't expect anything of them. You don't want them to be anything in particular. Um, you don't feel obligated to do anything in particular for them. What you do for them is out of pure, unconditional love, which means that you want to participate with them for its own sake, not for any other reason. The work that you do, you're not doing it because you think it's going to have a shattering impact on everyone else's life. You do it because that is your role and you love doing it. And whatever that impact of that work is, it's not up to you. You just do it because it is natural to you to do. Just like people who are involved in politics and getting all caught up in the political fervor. They'd be much more effective if they knew they were just doing it because it is their role and not because they need to get an emotion fulfilled or they need to get a particular agenda fulfilled. They have no control over that. The trends of human evolution will go in the way that it's meant to, and we as mind-body personalities are here to let that flow through us however it works. Even people from a political perspective on the oppositional side of what we think is right politically, they are part of the process too. They are part of the stimulation of our own growth just as we are for their growth. So interacting with the world, being in the world, it doesn't mean you are not interacting with the world. It doesn't mean that you don't have loving relationships. It doesn't mean that you don't seek out wholesome, harmonious uh, situations or that you don't eat a good diet or that you don't have a routine. Doing all of that helps to create the kind of structure, the kind of conduit, which allows these realizations that we've been talking about to happen more naturally and easily. The key is we are, we are practicing non-attachment no matter what we are doing. It is, I do my best, I let it go. I do my best, I let it go. I do my best, I let it go. You live that way, really, truly, stress falls away. Stress falls away. Occasionally, you might be surprised by a situation that triggers some old um, tendencies for you. It comes in for a day or two, you recognize it, and then you move back into, I'm going to do my best with this and let it go. All the while, all the while, abiding in that state of awareness and presence, making it as strong as possible. And that is not force. That is simply working it out, simply recognizing it, realizing it. You can't force the process. You begin meditating well. Now you can stare at that candle flame for 20 minutes. Great. Now you know that you still exist, devoid of any other thought or any other attraction to ideas of happiness that you have. It is possible for you to exist. So now you can start to pull your attention within and say, well, what if I really go deeply into this and just abide as this awareness? And you begin to train yourself to hold yourself in that space of awareness, even without looking at the candle flame. And the longer you do it, the greater the realization comes to you. However, just like you had to work out this, this outward attachment, this outward addiction to worldly ideas and things, well, you also have to, you're going to have all kinds of things pop up in your mind, visions, images, ideas, thoughts, things that make you think you're in an ecstatic, blissful state and your kundalini is making all of your chakras bloom roses. Well, that's also something that you pull away from because if you can experience it, that's still the world. You can enjoy the joy a little bit, but then you also have to pull back from that. Well, what is aware of this? What is experiencing this? 
and then it keeps going and we're, we get to a point where we can't really describe it anymore but you can understand the trajectory of what I'm saying, how that inner work um, develops, and that's what you're shooting for. That's what you're pulling within towards. And then you live your life when you're not meditating, doing your best, letting it go, loving the people around you without attachment, letting them be who they will be. If they're there now, that is the most wonderful thing and beautiful thing in the world. If they're not there, there is no loss in your consciousness because you are not defined by them. Sure, you're going to lose some of your sentimentality. You're not going to be able to say, oh my goodness, I missed you so much, um, I couldn't live without you, because you know that we are all one whole. So even though someone's personality, body is not there, that we are all made of the same stuff, so nothing really is ever lost. Um, that's going to be your own issue to have to deal with. But in the meantime, when it comes to recognizing what does it mean to be successful from a yogic standpoint, really contemplate where you are in that and what do you need to start working on if you are really committed to this. What do you need to start working on to let go? What are you attached to? Is it your body? Are there certain aspects of your body? And that can mean that you have a serious disease or a disease that's just uh, low grade that no matter what you've tried to do, it doesn't go away. Well, all right, make peace with it, meditate well, do your best in life, move on. Maybe you're one of those individuals who are addicted to looking 20 years old when you're 60. Maybe you're addicted to having a certain level of strength. Well, now is the time to let go of that addiction such that circumstances don't come together to force you to break that addiction because that is the hardest part of all when you you don't take time to look at your outward addictions and then circumstances come together which give you absolutely no choice no option to do it that's hard and that can be quite a challenge to one's own faith and one's own path so you'll get through it if that does happen to you but what i'm trying to encourage is doing some work beforehand so you don't get to that point such that your presence your awareness your freedom is consistent and grows gradually over time and then when you're done with your life it is as bright and as shining and as clear as it can be and then when it's time to move on You've worked through your attachments to your body, your attachments to the people in your life, your attachments to all the things you think you needed to accomplish. You're able to let it go, take that deep breath, and then merge with whatever the rest of you is. You find that out through meditation. You find that out through your own experience. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.